Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, Addis JB3. And it is the holiday season, and people are buying gifts, and people are preparing for large family dinners. And one of the common threads throughout all of those things is money. And it takes money to make these things happen. The absence of money or understanding of money and the best ways to save or to budget or to invest can have significant implications on one's health. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with the racial wealth gap and the different ways that have been proposed on addressing that gap. But what happens when we start linking the challenges with income with one's health? And one of the things that comes to mind immediately is stress. The stress of how am I going to pay for X or the stress of having to decide between two things that are both critically important, whether that's food on the table or one's uh, prescription or making sure that one has transportation to get to work. And we go backwards again and we see money again at the root of these things. And so today I tap on a colleague in the social work profession, Nicole Lewis, who is a private practitioner but has a great wealth of experience in talking to clients about navigating financial uncertainties and how we go about disrupting the things that we learn early on about what money is and how to use it and just really digging into the implications of finances. And so today's episode, we're digging into financial literacy and looking at financial literacy from the perspective of a social determinant of health and the ways that it can be used to advance equity. And so I'm really excited to introduce you to our guest today, Nicole Lewis. Nicole, do you mind introducing yourself to the listeners? Let them know a little bit about you. Absolutely. I am Nicole Lewis. I am a licensed clinical social worker. I am based in Mississippi, but I serve clients in different areas. um, And I'm just glad to be here. Glad to have you, Nicole. So at a broad level, could you define financial literacy in your own terms? Yes. Um, So financial literacy is basically the ability to understand and use your financial skills, um, including personal financial management, like budgeting or investing. And so thinking about financial literacy, I think we often find ourselves thinking that it's all about math, right? And can you, you describe why it's more than just, you know, addition and subtraction? Well, financial literacy includes uh, saving, budgeting, uh, investing, managing debt that we have, and maintaining a good credit score. Um, So we're not just, you know, adding and subtracting. We are looking towards the future. We're looking at past behaviors. So it's a lot more than, you know, just a little bit of math. So... Could you describe the relationship between some of the stressors, well, not even get to the stressors yet, between financial literacy and behavioral health? Yeah, um, so 
probably about, I think it's four out of five people live paycheck to paycheck. And that's not really good. Um, If we're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, then we're definitely going to see that the basics are at the bottom of the pyramid. So that's, you know, water, shelter, things like that. Um, So if we don't have those things, we're going to worry about, um, you know, having food on the table. So if we're constantly worried about paying our bills, then we're not going to be able to focus on our mental or our behavior health. We're going to be worried about, you know, just getting the bare minimum done. Um, and so everything else just goes out the window. That's not important right now. I need to make sure that I'm okay and my family's okay. And how has this shown up with some of the clients that you've seen? I mean, is this a, a conversation that is often or do people not always connect those dots in that way? That's a good question. Um, so I'm in private practice. And so I initially meet with clients through a consultation. And that's when they ask me, you know, about insurance or um, uh, the payments. And so we start there. That's where, where it starts, because a lot of us do have some issues with money. And so we talk about, you know, the payment, and there are some people who say, well, you know, I can't afford that. And so we talk about what that means and what that looks like for them. So it starts there. Um, But in the past, um, I've had experience working um, in different areas of social work, including um, county jails, child protection services, community mental health, and assisted living facilities. And money was a a big um, reason for a lot of them to be in the situations that they are. Um, because of poverty. So generally, if someone misses a bill or can't pay a fine, then their whole life is turned upside down. And I I kept seeing the same clients, even though I I was moving to different areas of social work. It starts, you know, with maybe uh, one person gets a ticket, they can't pay it because they can't afford it. And so they're riding around, maybe have a fine. They didn't show up to court. And if they get pulled over again, unfortunately, they may be taken to jail. And so if they're taken to jail, they may, you know, um, not show up for work, which can cause them to lose their job. So then they no longer have a job. And then they may have their children removed because no one's there to take care of the children. So all of this started with not being able to pay, you know, one ticket. So we have to start with uh, financial literacy um, early on with children and with families so that we can get out of these cycles. However, I do realize that a lot of poverty um, isn't, you know, the fault of, of individuals. It's a systemic thing. So we also need to work on that. There is a story that I often tell when presenting around child welfare when I first got into the field. I received a call where I had to go to this mother who was homeless and she was living in a car and it was my responsibility as a CPS worker to make sure that the child was safe. Right. And Mm -hmm. policy at that time dictated that I was actually supposed to remove the child. And 
the irony of all of that was the mother had actually called the state for assistance, right? She wanted to actually get help. Mm-hmm. And the state in return sent CPS to her door. And so when you mention the fact that a lot of these issues are systemic, it makes me think about the fact that in many cases, we're perpetuating the inequity, right? Like we haven't created solutions to really help folks get out of Mm -hmm. these situations. Yeah, um, a lot of us are put in those types of situations, unfortunately, where it's out of our hands. So I would assume, you know, you were told to, you know, remove children or investigate or whatever it was because of, you know, a judge or whoever's in charge there and that's out of our hands. And it can be pretty sticky because these laws are written a certain way. Um, and most of the time it's not written, written with um, other things in mind. So uh, I'm not sure, you know, how that happened with that um, case that you had, but that's really unfortunate. And I have seen things like that where, you know, if we could just uh, help someone find housing, then we wouldn't have to pay the cost to have a child in the system. It's amazing what we could do considering like upstream interventions, right? So if we helped a family find housing, there's so many other sectors that would benefit from that, right? Thinking about education, a child doesn't have to worry about, well, they may not have to worry about where their next meal is gonna come from or how they're gonna stay sheltered the next day thinking about employment, you know, being able to have a place that you can reside. And it's just so many different places. If we were to just invest in something as simple as housing, that could transform the way people experience stress when it comes to finances. I agree. Um, Just in the case example that you gave, you know, if, if that individual was given some housing, I'm pretty sure she may have, you know, felt more of a sense of pride, uh, which could help her, you know, navigate through everyday life. Um, if she had children, then, you know, if they, if they were going to school, that not only will help the family, that also helps the economy because we all know that schools get paid for children to come there. They get paid thousands of dollars for each child. And so, um, you know, that, brings in more money for the school system, which brings in more money for supplies needed. So it helps other children and families as well. So it all starts with, you know, finding someone, one resource, and it could change the world. Sounds so easy. And it probably is. (laughs) I think we just make it difficult, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Money, unfortunately, can be a root of some evil. So, uh, I think that we can improve situations for a lot of people. However, there are some individuals who may have more power um, that may shut that down for their own needs. We'll say that for a whole different podcast. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about the solution, right? So in the work that you're doing, what role do you play in promoting financial literacy? Um, So, I am currently in private practice. So like I said, when I'm, I'm meeting with my clients, we're discussing finances right off the bat. 
And after the consultation and we move forward, um, and my clients pay out of pocket and I let them know what the protocol is for that. Um, I do let them know that they may be able to get reimbursed if they have insurance. And that's something I can talk about later if you need me to explain. But once we get past that, I want to talk with them about their money stories. And that is basically um, a story that they came up with in their head because of how they were brought up. So when we see our parents or whoever our caregivers are talking about money or stressing over money, that's how we learn our behavior regarding money. So we talk about those things and how maybe mom um, did everything she could. She had three jobs, left us at home, and we had to fend for ourselves. Um, and so that can shape the way we live life just because mom was stressed over money. So now when we're an adult, we may say, I can't afford this because we always heard mom say that every time we asked for something, I can't afford this. Even when we make a decent amount of money, we may say, I can't afford this because that's just, you know, something that's stuck in our psyche. So we work through those things and we discuss, you know, what affordability means, what budgeting is. It goes, I work with my clients uh, with their budgeting. I will set it up with them. I go so far as that because it's very important. And I know that if they can decrease their stress regarding finances, we can work on some other stuff. If you don't mind, kind of break down that process, as you were saying, because I think there's a lot of gaps in understanding when it comes to billing for services and even the education that takes place along that process. Sure. Um, I truly enjoy uh, helping people find a therapist. So this is something that I regularly talk about. Um, so unfortunately, a lot of insurance companies do not cover mental health care, and that's just a tragedy, um, but some do. So um, some individuals may be looking for a therapist, but um, they may have problems finding one that's a good fit for them. So sometimes people will come to me and say, I've been looking for a therapist in my area, but I'm not sure what to do. And so I instruct them if they have insurance that they can call the number, which is generally on the back of their card. Um, and they can ask uh, for a therapist in their area or someone who does um, virtual or telehealth. Um, so someone who's working within their state that they can see. And um, a, a lot of people don't realize that they can actually call their insurance company and ask them, you know, what kind of provider is available. So that doesn't just apply for mental health, that applies for physical and anything else they need uh, regarding insurance. And sometimes insurance companies won't have a person that's good for them. So now they believe they're out of options, there's not a therapist in their area, or there's not someone that looks like them that they want to see. So I'll tell them to ask their insurance company what their reimbursement policy is. So a lot of insurance companies will have a policy saying, if you see a provider that's out of network, we'll give you a certain percentage back. So you'll have to pay up front, but once you provide us with the super bill, we'll give you some money back. And a super bill is just a thorough invoice saying that the client paid for this service um, and it also has a business ID or MPI number, which is 
an ID number for providers, just so the insurance company can check for sure that, you know, this is a real thing. You actually did see uh, someone that's licensed. And so once they submit that to them, whether that's through fax or email, they have their own policies and they'll reimburse you. Um, so I try to tell people, you know, that's an option as well, because the, uh, a lot of therapists or providers are not in your network and you don't want to miss out on having a good fit just because of that. And if you can get reimbursed, that's even better. Um, I've known some people to even get reimbursed 100 percent. So I do try to tell people that that's another option as well. How often does it come up as at least in that initial discussion of trying to orient folks to navigating that system? Because I know even for for me working in state government, sending people to different places to get one thing, you know, they're jumping through hurdles. And in some cases, they stop because they're just frustrated, like, I'm not getting what I need here. Um, it, it comes up very often. Um, I, I get a lot of um, inquiries on my website, and uh, I try to call people instead of responding that way because I want it to be more personable. And so when I call and I, I let them know, you know, this is the rate, you know, if you have insurance, this is how you can get reimbursed. Um, they're, they are surprised because they didn't realize this was, you know, a benefit of their insurance. And I also do a lot of um, referrals through uh, social media. So uh, I go out of my way to search for people who are looking for therapists because I know how difficult it can be. Um, even as a therapist, finding my own therapist was hard. So I try to make that process easier for people. And I let them know that, you know, outside of insurance, there are, um, you know, websites that you can look through that have providers on them that'll tell you which type of insurance they may take or if they don't or if they'll see you in person. Um, so there's a lot of things um, that we need to be educating people on in this space because it's important that we all have access to quality health care. And how much of that responsibility falls on the providers, right? So we could give our clients like all of the tools in the world, but if we don't, how are we training them to be self-sufficient? And, I, and I, I hate that expression, but those are the words that come to mind. Like how do we make sure that they become independent and can do the things that they need to do even if we're not around? Um. So a big part of behavioral health is psychoeducation. So we should be educating our clients early on. And if that means that they, you know, I'm telling them, use your insurance, ask them about this, and they don't become my client, I'm fine with it. Um, because, you know, everybody deserves the care. And if that's not through me, that's fine. Um, I just want them to get the help that they need. So if they do come to me um, and we do start, you know, the process of a therapeutic relationship, we are going to discuss more psychoeducation outside of money. Uh, we're going to talk about if they have a mental health diagnosis. I don't want to just tell them like, hey, um, I'm diagnosing you with PTSD and then move forward. I'm going to explain to them what that means, what it can look like how it can show up in different situations. 
Um, it is our jobs as providers to educate our clients because we don't want them to have to Google something that we could easily tell them because Google's may not tell them the right thing. So we may be focusing on PTSD and they're thinking, oh, I have to be a veteran for this. But I didn't share that with them. I didn't share that, hey, this is why I think that you may meet this criteria. And if you have questions, you know, let's talk about it. So we don't want to leave them out there. Um, but I do think all of that responsibility shouldn't be on us as far as insurance goes. I think insurance companies definitely need to be doing more education. Um, and I, I have my own reasons that I don't really like dealing with insurance. Um, and that's one of them. They, they are not telling people their full benefits. And I do think it goes back to greed. Shifting gears just a little bit. I'm wondering if this is like super social worker, James. <laughs> what could our environment look like if, say, within the DSM or ICD-10, however we're doing our billing, that we could put financial stress as opposed to like a PTSD or as opposed to like a bipolar disorder? If we could actually implement or integrate, rather, um, some of these social determinants as part of diagnoses, what, what could that look like? Or what opportunities could present itself if we did that? Um, if we did that, I think that the stigma wouldn't be so heavy, um, seeing a therapist. Um, you know, the stigma says, if you go to therapy, you're crazy. If you go to therapy, there's something wrong with you. And that's just simply not true. Um, so one of the reasons why I don't accept insurance is because I don't think that everybody has a mental health diagnosis that um, is listed in the DSM-5. So I work with clients who may be experiencing issues because of financial stress. And um, I can't, if I, if I was able to build that with insurance, that would be great, but I cannot. And I don't want to say, well, I have to put a diagnosis in here for you um, because insurance won't cover it without it. So now that's, you know, uh, tiptoeing around integrity. And I definitely don't want to do anything unethical um, because once I submit this to an insurance company, it stays there and it follows you. And we don't want something that's not true to follow you. And there's nothing wrong with having a mental health diagnosis, but if you don't actually have this, it shouldn't be in your record. And so I kind of want to wrap up with the, the broadest question that I have. And how can we use financial literacy and education to promote equity? Hmm. Um, we can promote equity with financial literacy um by helping marginalized groups get on a level playing field um we all know that marginalized groups are disproportionately on the lower end of the income gap we're paid differently we're treated differently and we have to make things work with a small amount of money and that's not okay um so if we had more equity uh we could do more things and i think it would benefit everyone not just the marginalized groups 
And if we had more uh, financial literacy in education, uh, we wouldn't have so many individuals with physical and mental health disorders. Uh, because of financial stress uh, is causing significant problems in our communities. If we were taught in school uh, about credit scores, about how to budget, about how once we do make a great income, this is how you can keep it or this is how you can grow it. And of course, that boosts the economy and it always uh, will help other people if we're putting money out. Um, but we can't put money out if we don't have money coming in. So I think that financial literacy uh, is definitely just one way to promote equity. I really wish in like grade school, I could have gotten like a, a tax 101 so I could understand what an exemption is or what a, a deductible is even. Like it would have been so great to know those things as opposed to say the preamble of the constitution. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, same here. Uh, I don't want to or need to know the circumference of a circle. Like I don't do anything with that. So if somebody would have taught me something more ap applicable to my life, that would have been great. It took me years to learn that, you know, all this time I'm paying my tithes in church. That could have been a tax write-off. Mm -hmm. Somebody should have told me that. <laughs> Like that, that would have helped me out a lot, but um, they didn't. I had to learn this stuff on my own. So, you know, part of my mission is to help other people learn it too, because if, if I'm making it, I want everybody to come with me. I'm not going to keep this stuff to myself. Yeah, that 10% adds up. Absolutely. I got my statement not so long ago. I was like, oh, <laughs> I was a cheerful giver. <laughs> Very. But it, it comes back, so I'm always I'm always appreciative for that. Mm -hmm. So, Nicole, how can people keep up with you if they want to learn more about your private practice, any of the other work that you're doing? Um, people can keep up with me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active at La Remedy. That's L-E-R-E-M-E-D-Y-Y. -Y. On Twitter, um, I'm on Instagram at Legacy Wellness underscore. Or they can definitely check out my website, LegacyWellnessServices.com. That is where um, most of my clients are coming from. You can complete a consultation or um, schedule an um, initial assessment all on the website. So that's where people can find me. And I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't add this just because of Dr. Kevin. Do you have a favorite Project Pat or Three Six Mafia song? <laughs> um, I may or may not. Um, it, it's funny that you ask that, and a lot of people don't realize it. Um, they tell me my voice is mature, but I'm really small in stature. I am four ten, so. Um, I, I also have an SUV and I bump my rap music really loud. So people don't expect me to get out of my vehicle. So when I get out the vehicle, I get a lot of looks <laughs> because they're like, what is she doing? So yeah, um, I love anybody out of Memphis 
or the Dirty South. Um, I love rap. I love hip hop. Um, and so I will continue to to listen to them um, and use my gifs or gifs that some people <laughs> say on Twitter. <laughs> no, that's all right with me. I I um, was working on a paper this past weekend and Tear the Club Up 97 came on. And I was, in 1997, oh, I was literally um, like nine years old. But that song, for whatever reason, has always stuck with me. And it just, it embodies a certain spirit. And it gets, you, you get things done. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Oh, chick, Chicken Head always stuck in my head. Um, it was just so interesting. I don't think anybody has written a body of work like that before. And, you know, it seems interesting to say that about a, a rap song, but that is poetry. That's a story. Um, so I really love that song. And it's really funny. It is. It is. <laughs> Project Pata was on the song. So, Nicole, I appreciate you and the time. I think, I think we need to have more conversations around social deterrence, especially and specifically uh, financial education because it can open the door for so many other things to take place and it it also in many ways could relieve some of the stress that we see that may manifest in behavioral health or even physical health but if we actually spent time investing in those social determinants we could really reverse some of the trends that we see in society i completely agree um if we had more access and more equity um we could change our lives and those that are to come well, thank you, Nicole. You take care of yourself. And next time you put on some Project Pat, think of me and Dr. Kevin. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All righty. Huge thank you again to Nicole for hopping on the pod. Um, when I started thinking about this episode initially, I knew I wanted to talk to someone who had experience talking to families about this because it's easy for folks, even myself included, as a, as a decision maker, as a policy maker, who hasn't had to sit in those seats around financial insecurity and have discussions around financial literacy. I wasn't going to get at the breadth of the topic in a way that I thought was meaningful. So thanks to Nicole for, for joining us and really digging into it. I also want to just point out, thinking about my own trajectory and relationship with money, Growing up, we never had to ask for anything, but I never knew what the costs were. And so thinking back to what I referenced in the beginning around the holiday season, you know, just shout out to my mom for always providing, even though there were some times where she could have probably told us no. And I'm not sure the long term financial implications of that. She's never made it clear or gave us reason to think there was a concern, but knowing now as a, as a parent, the trade-offs, what comes with that. I just, just want to give her huge kudos. You know, maybe she'll listen to the episode. No shade. I also want to point out that we are on the heels of the equity matters, social justice Academy. I want to just thank all of those who participated, all of those who shared the event, you know, talking about white supremacy is taxing, right? Because you live with it every day. And then to go and do a session on it, it's it's heavy. 
but it's necessary and it's necessary because if we really want to transform organizations and institutions we have to be prepared to dissect this issue and for folks that don't believe it's an issue please send me an email send me a dm i just want to know why i want to know why you don't think that white supremacy exists why white supremacy culture doesn't exist i'm just curious i'm not here to antagonize i really i want to know the opposite perspectives because i think it'll help inform our strategies and our approaches going forward I also want to just give a huge shout out to the listeners. I mean, I'm getting in this spirit of gratitude. I don't know if it's just because of where we are in the year, but I I just want to thank folks for for listening and rocking with us and sharing episodes because, of course, there's no way that we would have made it this far without you all. But your commitment to equity to me is what really sustains this podcast. Like, it's just really exciting to see so many people who are passionate about making sure people have what they need to be successful, to thrive, to be healthy, like all of those things make a huge difference. And I just love the variety of perspectives that come with that because we've got folks from social work, we've got folks from public health, we've got folks from urban planning. And it's just really exciting that we're all facing these challenges in the same way and realize the importance of equity. So kudos to y'all for doing y'all thing. I'm starting to get in the habit of asking for favors also. So for you all who are listening, who like what you hear, drop us a review. Let us know how we can improve things. If you're not satisfied, let us know who you want us to talk to. My my inbox is always open. That's we are at Equity Matters Podcast on Instagram and at Equity Matters PC on Twitter. Let us know because we want to make sure we're providing the best possible product for you all. And I want to go back actually. And I got a review not too long ago. So I was really excited. It had been over a year since someone reviewed us. We're, we're sitting at 30 ratings and we're still five out of five. So that's kudos to that. But holler at us review. And one of the things that someone said is this is amazing work. Highly recommend this podcast. This platform is a great way to start understanding equity and how we can all help make a difference. And that's what it's about to me, how we all can make a difference, because we're all facing the same challenges. We're just sitting in different seats, but we all can literally do something, one thing, a thing that can advance equity. And so drop us a review. Let us know. Send me a note. Let me know. And just keep up the work. I know we're heading into time where people take breaks, please do so. Refill your cup, recharge, whatever that means for you, because the work is still going to be there. And we want to make sure you're there too. So until next time, folks, take care of yourselves. Stay safe. If you've got kids, get them vaccinated. Equity matters.